say, the Lord be with you, and you say, and also with you. All right? The Lord be with you. And then we can add a little gesture, and we can also add a smile because there's joy around this, right? The Lord be with you. And, also with you. and we'll do that once more. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. You may be seated. Our chapel this morning is, um, is a bit unusual. We're looking at worship, and it's part of what I do as the Dean of Chapel and with the chapel leadership team, and thinking about our different definitions and experiences of worship. And probably at its most narrow, we would say if we took a snapshot of someone here in chapel, hands raised high, eyes closed, kind of obviously communing with God, we would say, oh, that's a picture of worship. But what I want to do is to push back on that and say, yes, that is worship, but worship is much broader than that. In fact, there's a sense in which we can say all of our life is worship, right? We, there's this phrase, this Latin phrase, coram Deo, which means before the face of God. I love that phrase. It, it sort of animates my spiritual life that everything I do is coram Deo, before the fo- face of God. So your study is an act of worship. My teaching is an act of worship. Administration is an act of worship. All that we do is worship. And yes, there's something specific that happens when God's people gather. I would call that gathered worship. And we're using the Psalms in a series this year to look at the ways it it will expand our understanding of worship. So today we're using Psalm 95, and the whole Psalm is actually shaping the service that we're doing together. It kind of is, there are three commands in this Psalm. Three commands, praise, worship, and listen. And there are actions, there are postures on our part that go with it. Praise, shouting is loud, Uh, worship is bowing down, and listening is quieting ourselves and opening ourselves up. Those are all parts of worship. So let's look at verse 1 and 2. There's a call in this psalm, and it's a call to praise. Come, it says, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Act one is the noisy act. I imagine the people gathering, let's say, in Jerusalem before Solomon's temple to come in. Maybe it's a feast day. They're meeting people they haven't seen for weeks or months or years. They're bringing offerings to God. They're carrying things. They're saying, oh, brother, and they're embracing one another. And there's all this greeting and activity and noise going on. And then they are called in to to worship, to praise God. And it's talking about singing, and it's talking about shouting, and there's volume, there's instruments, there's music. It's an invitation to others, come, come along, let's do this together. And come is such a powerful, evocative word. I'm sure we've all had situations in our childhood where we wished the person who was having the party or was um, taking friends to a concert or going somewhere would say to us too, come, why don't you come? 
The kid that's standing on the outside, the new one on the playground, who just wants someone to say, hey, do you want to come and play baseball, basketball? Do you want to come? We're going somewhere. Come can have such power to move us and stir us. And here it's an invitation to join God's people. Come for the noisy proclamation of song, singing with joy and shouting aloud. Maybe some of us aren't used to that in our worshiping communities, but God's word commands it. God says, this is part of how you respond to me. It is with noise and joy and shouting. And then the psalm gives reasons in verse 3. The first reason is God's supremacy. Why do we do this as God's people? For the Lord, and that's the word Yahweh, is the great God, the great king above all gods. There are many gods in our world, things that compete for the affection and attention, the attention of our minds, the affection of our hearts that want to draw us away into worshiping other things, into filling our time with those sorts of things. But the psalm reminds us that only Yahweh, only the God that we serve is the real God. And therefore, he is worthy of all of our praise and shouting and joy. And Jesus won. Remember that? Jesus came and lived like one of us. He died. The disciples thought it was all over. And then he rose from the grave. And not only did he rise victorious, but he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We celebrate those things because only God is the true God overall. Come. And there's a second reason that the psalm gives us, and it's creational in the next verses. Because this God, in his hand, are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. In the Hebrew, two ends of something mean everything in between. So the farthest you can imagine down, the farthest you can imagine up. The sea is his, for he made it. And the sea was often a place of fear and death for people. But here the proclamation is even that is made by our God, and he holds it, and he upholds us, and his hands formed the dry land. Nothing in creation, nothing that you will face in this world is greater than the God that we serve together. He stands above it. He made it all. He is the creator. And we know so much more about the wonders and mysteries of the world than God's people did thousands of years ago when they put these psalms and songs and poems together. We marvel not just at the sky and the lake and the brilliant trees, the beauty of fall as we enter it again, but at the intricacies of our circulatory system and the mysteries of subatomic particles and the wonders of galaxies light years away. Let us praise our God with music and song. Please stand. We're gonna use words from the psalm and some other words into a litany that is going to lead into us shouting and clapping and praising and that will lead us into a song that does the same. So this is a call and response. I am going to call, you respond, and, and sort of match my volume, and at the end, you totally blow me away, all right? The psalm then moves into act two. 
after the people have joyfully celebrated, it's as if they move into, from the outer courts into the inner courts in the temple. We move in closer into a more intimate place before God. From shouting and clapping and faces raised and joy projected up, we bend, we kneel, we bow before God. The call this time is, in verse 6, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord Yahweh, our Maker. And this time, the reasons are relational. Remember, we have praised him because he's above all gods. We've shouted his praise because he made everything. And now we move into this intimate place where we say the reason that we now bow down is because he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. No longer is it about him seated up high and the galaxies and all the wonderful things that he has made and creation that he holds in his hands, but we can draw close to this God from that place and bow down before him because we belong to him. He, the word our, the preposition means he, he belong, we are in relationship to this God. We are in relationship. The greatness of that God draws near to you and I. Out of the hugeness of everything, he chose to come into relationship with you and with me. How much more can we appreciate this when we think about Jesus? God came among us in person, in the flesh, like us. And he paid a price to heal us, to tie us back to him again. No longer do we just admire the world's canvas and the painter and then lift our hearts in praise, but he comes out and invites us into the story, into the painting of life, into the journey that he creates and that he leads us on. What love What can we give back ourselves? Small a gift though it may be, we kneel and bow down in worship. And so we are literally going to do that. I know it may not work for all of you or you're not dressed properly, but in this time of this next song and some silence, I'm going to invite you to at least bend over. Some of you have space in front of you. There's space in the aisles, or you can turn backwards in your seat and assume a kneeling posture. Again, it's not something that many of us do, and certainly not in worship. The little kneeling benches are disappearing from churches. But so why kneel? Well, it's a posture that speaks It's something that we do with our bodies that informs our spirit. And it also projects to others and to God that you are greater and I am lesser. You are my Lord. You rule my life. And it leads often as well to confession. Forgive me that I thought I was so big and strong, that I was self-sufficient and could stand on my own two feet. 
all those things that I worry about, Lord, all those things that I seek to control, I lay them down before you as I lay down my life. To say with our hearts and our bodies, you are my Lord, your will be done. Let your kingdom come. You know, I'm often struck by pictures of Muslims in prayer. Perhaps we scoff at them because they just seem to do it by rote and they all lay down there. And you know what? It's an attack on our dignity. As Western people, we think we have to stand on our own two feet and we rule our own lives and we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But they, five times a day, less, more, lay down to acknowledge that Allah is great. Do you not think the Lord our God is much greater than Allah? Amen? Is he not that much more worthy of us laying down our lives? And let's, during this next time, allow our bodies also to lead us into that. So I invite you to assume a kneeling posture if you're able, if that works for you. And we'll have some time of silence and a song that you can just listen to and, uh, and ways that you can pray through it yourselves. Lord, you alone are worthy. We bow before you in humility. Lord, search us and know us. Shine the light of your word and your spirit on our lives. Find out the places, Lord, where we need your spirit today, where we need your healing, where we need your love, where we need your grace. God, we offer ourselves to you anew. And as we see again your holiness and join the company before your throne, we see again how small we are and how unworthy. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways in which we dishonor your name, in which we harden our hearts against your word and against your spirit. The ways in which we allow our minds and attention to be distracted by things that may be good in themselves but are not what you have for us now. Oh Lord, we want to submit ourselves to you. Submit ourselves to your word, to your spirit, because we know that only you have the words of life. Where else would we go? intimate moment comes another abrupt change. God speaks to his people and his word, his command is listen. Today it says, if only you would hear my voice, God pleads with his people, listen to me. 
Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, which means quarreling, as you did that day at Massa, which means testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I had done. For 40 years, he says, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. And so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And so God says to his people, and you can stay in that posture or get back in some more comfortable posture, but God looks down on his people after they have had loud praise and bowing down, and he says, stay that way, oh my people, if only you would always be like this. If only your hearts would be the way that your bodies, the posture that your bodies are in now, be open to me, stay close to me, don't harden your hearts, but keep them soft and pliable. Always be ready to listen to me as you are right now. And God takes a lesson from his people's history. Israel arriving at a place in the desert without any obvious water. And so the people begin quarreling with Moses and grumbling against God, whining and complaining. Parents might know the tone. This is so stupid. Why did I even have to come here? This whole thing is so dumb. Why did you make me go? Because of a temporary thirst, they call God's whole plan for their lives. And remember what they have just seen? What they have just seen the Lord their God do? Open the waters and, and defeat their enemies? They have just experienced that in their recent living memory. And here they are with no water because of a temporary thirst. They call God's whole plan for their lives into question. Is the Lord really with us? Is God really God? Does he even care? Some God he's turning out to be. Some great plan of deliverance he's got for me. Well, God gave them water that day because he can do anything. And he wants the best for his people. But sometimes it's our attitude that is the problem. It's our hard hearts that get in the way our selfish desires, our fiery impatience. Yeah, I know, Lord, I know you're going to come through on this, but now would be good. Our lack of control, our lack of counting the blessings that we do have, our faith that can't wait for God to do things his way when we want them our way and we want it now. God can accept that from infants. So can you and I, but not from mature, nourished adults who should know better, who should be further along in their spiritual journey. Our relationship with God works best if we come with soft hearts, ones ready to listen, ones willing to be moved, hearts eager to respond with lives that follow those hearts, with bodies that come in line with that heart's desires, lives that do what has moved the heart. And if we want to experience God's rest, 
then we must be listening to him. And so where does your heart need to be softened toward God this morning? Where is there a spot or maybe a whole section or maybe you think of rooms in your heart that you have shut the door and cemented it closed, bolted it closed, and you're not letting the spirit in there because you don't know what would happen if God got into that room. And where is that place where you no longer have faith for him to move? Let's listen. Let's spend some time in quiet, listening with those questions on our hearts and minds. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. People of God, as you go, know that God goes before you. God goes with you. God goes behind you. There is nowhere that you will go this week that God is not there before you. And so receive his parting blessing to you. I explain sometimes that in my tradition, I raise my hands as a sign of giving to you from God. And I invite you to raise your hands in this manner as a sign of receiving, not what I give you, but what God gives you. People of God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord smile on you and fill your life with his peace. And all God's people say, amen.